there are a lot of high-level people and really nice community in Chiang Mai. And this is an important point too. So there are really high-level people and well, the newcomers that come into town, right? Like you can also learn a lot from them, right? Because maybe they ask some really interesting questions or maybe they're just a really nice friend or maybe you can teach them something. Sometimes the way that I find that I learn the best is whenever I'm teaching something to someone else, right? Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. You're never getting me back into an office. I'm quoting David Hannemeyer Hansen here, former guest of the show. Wrote a blog post. Blog post is basically when you put a bunch of words together on a website and post it to the internet. I don't think people really do it anymore. David Hannemeyer Hansen from the old school writes, I credit much of my career to escaping that place in the early 2000s. It wasn't until I found the prolonged solitude of working from home that I could consistently make big leaps in my creative process. The pandemic taught millions the same lesson. And yet, and yet, I'm going to come to the defense of the office. David goes on to write about the value of being in person. I think there's a tool for every scenario here. You know, I think that solitude that David's talking about has been really critical in my career, especially being abroad. I love that disconnect of putting down the phone, of putting down the immediacy and being able to focus on building assets, especially creative assets. But then on the other side of it, I think there's maybe no more powerful business heuristic than you are the average of your five closest friends. It's something that just keeps coming up. And I don't know, you don't make friends on the internet. What kind of friends do you make on the internet? You got to make them in person. You got to get on an airplane. And I guess that's the theme of today's show. So yeah, I think they're both incredibly valuable. Is it heretical to say sometimes I fantasize about just going back to the office with the team for a couple months? Today, you're going to hear the story of someone who got on a plane and when they landed, they built a seven-figure business with over 100 employees. He's a young guy and he's going to tell that story today here on the pod. I think one of the elements of taking advantage of this five closest friends heuristic is in order to find those five, in order to keep those five around, typically you, you sort of need to know what mission you're going to go on in advance. And that takes bravery. Finding your five closest friends isn't about going around opportunity shopping. There's like a moment of bravery where maybe you're sitting around isolated in a small European country and you're saying, you know what? I want this. I want something bigger. I'm going to look for people who are doing that. I'm going to get on a plane and find them. That's the theme of today's episode. You're going to hear the story in just a bit. One important news item before we get into the episode and producer Jane, let me have a little creative license here. You know, since 2015, producer Jane's been running the show. And the story goes is that, uh, you know, I was creatively taxed back in 2015, just every week trying to figure out, you know, what to say on the podcast. And I didn't have any experience. And she was listening to this show as she was producing radio as a master producer at the BBC. And I guess she heard some dudes that could use a helping hand. And so she reached out and she did more than help. You know, she defined our, our voice 
for more than half a decade here at the podcast. She brought your stories onto the show and elegant and produced ways. I can't tell you how many times guests have come up to me and they're just like this look on their face like, wow, you brought my story to life. Um, and that was all Jane. So yeah, Jane's moving on to her next opportunity and her next phase in life. She's been with us for eight years. And she called me up a few weeks ago and said, hey, it's my time. We've done eight years together. We've had a great run and a great run indeed, Jane. One thing, you know, you've heard Jane's work over the years, but Behind the scenes, it's worth pointing out that she's been something of an informal board member, the voice of reason and judgment and taste in our organization. When important things happened, Ian and I would call Jane to get her opinion about it. And that, that was a very much an unpaid position. Just as colleagues, as friends, she served as a mentor to us both. Her work is obvious in our, in our catalog, but our relationship has been one of the best working relationships I've had in my professional career. So join me in uh, thanking producer Jane for her time here at the TNBA podcast. I'm sad to see her go, but it's also been wonderful working with her. And I look forward to hanging out with her in just a few months when we fly to Thailand. By the way, you might be asking uh, questions about what's going to happen at the podcast. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You're going to have to tune in next week to find out. Hopefully, Ian won't use this as an opportunity to try out his numerous stand-up bits that he's been workshopping the past few years. But, you know, anything could happen. So back to the Thailand thing. Jane's long been our correspondent from Thailand, feeding us information there on the ground. And yeah, spent the whole weekend, spent the early part of this week working on our 11th annual DCBKK launch. and. I don't know. I got some feedback on my forum posts. Sometimes my writing's a bit robotic. I wanted to, I don't know, say something about how much this means to me. The first sentence. So, of course, DCBKK, if you've been listening to the show, is, is our biggest event of the year for listeners of this podcast, for DC members. And the first sentence of my forum post is, there's no sentence I look forward to typing Every year, more than DCBKK is back. And that's 100% true. And I think the bottom line for me is DCBKK is just more than a conference. It's a movement. It's an adventure. It's this feeling of entrepreneurial cozy. It's people on a mission together. It's the average year five friends stuff we're talking about. It's Thailand. It's, it's all of it together. It's even Jane. It's so many wonderful people coming together. Maybe a little bit of jet lag, but we're recovering in a pool together with the pillow menu and some amazing food. There's people flying in early to do events together. There's people staying late to go to the mountains or the beach together. And so much comes of it. And I think that's the theme of today's episode. It's whether it's a project, a sense of clarity, a new idea, a new relationship. There's so much that I look forward to in that week and just posting that post and seeing all the reservations come through this morning just really motivates us and the team to try and build something amazing and to see what you're all building in October. I'm already mentally packing my bags. That's 100% true. Uh, maybe next week without Jane's supervision, I'll do a packing list podcast where I talk about the 47 items I am taking to Bangkok. Anyway, that's it for today. Those are the themes of today's pod. Get on a plane. Today's story happens at the scene of the crime in Chiang Mai itself where over 100 attendees of DCBKK 
And this year, because of Chiang Mai SEO, there'll be thousands probably of entrepreneurs in Chiang Mai in October and November. It's quite the scene and the setting for today's talented entrepreneur. Let's just dig right into today's interview. So my name is uh, Simon Trollier, and I'm the CEO and founder of Pangolia. So Pangolia is this online digital media site in the pet industry. We also have our own e-commerce brand called Hepper, where we sell modern cat furniture. My team has grown from 10 to 110 team members yeah. in the last three years. Wow. What are you primarily hiring for? So we have a couple of different departments. We have editorial. We also have what we call content management. So content management are the people who, you know, whatever editorial is done with the content, the content managers get up on the websites. Uh, then there's Hepper. So basically everything Hepper products, that's the department. And then we have the marketing, right? And then there's the web development. So, yep. And then affiliate partnerships. So there's quite a few departments. That's really the team. And yeah, whenever we're hiring, we're always looking for, you know, people that are able to get into a role and just really figure things out and really take charge of what they're working on, right? So I'm not a micromanager and, and yeah. So one of your properties, just to like help the listener visualize the company is called excitedcats.com. <laughs> so Excited Cats is a website. So just think about it, right? Like if you're a pet owner or a pet parent and you're looking for information about cats, right? Like maybe why do cats purr? Or why did my cat poop on, you know, my shoe, right? Like, or how to remove that, right? Like there's all these questions that pet parents have. And we, of course, want to be there to try and help them to understand and learn. In terms of the business itself, like the revenue side of things and the business side of things. So the revenue comes from, mainly comes from display ads on the sidebar, like, like so the typical display ads. You're browsing a website, you see like a banner ad, that sort of thing. I'm seeing how AI automation speech recognition works. Oh. Download white paper. Well, that says, that says more about you than it says about us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so like uh, display ads and then also what we call working with partners. So affiliate revenue, right? So if we work with partners and then we can also make some revenue whenever we... Um, so is that like when I click cat food and I go into the cat food section, if I buy some cat food, you guys get a kickback? Whenever we advertise partners, we get a revenue from that. Yeah, yeah. So if you click and if you end up buying, for example, if you click over to Chewy and you end up buying on Chewy.com, mm -hmm. usually there's a cookie that goes into your browser. That one basically recognizes that, you know, the sale started on Excited Cats. Yeah. So these are your major sources of revenue, right? Basically display ads and affiliate partnerships. Yeah, that, that's, that's the main source of revenue. Though, obviously, now that Hepper is also part of the Pangolia family. So Hepper is our modern cat furniture brand where we sell our own products and we make them. So now with bringing Hepper into the picture, you know, obviously if on Excited Cats, we also talk about Hepper, that's quite interesting, right? Because yeah, e-commerce and, and really integrating that. And that's really the future. And also, you know, one of those things where we really focused on is integrating Hepper more and more on our sites. Yeah. Why? Well, obviously because so there's a couple of reasons, right? Like, first of all, because we're talking with the uh, readers and because we're understanding what they want, we're better able to implement them into the Hepper products, right? So that we can better create products that they want and, and, and really 
understand their needs and their cat's needs. Uh, the, the second reason is also that, you know, obviously, if we have our own products and we sell our own products, obviously the margins are way higher, right? Than if it's through an affiliate partnerships typically. So that, that, that's also the reason, yeah. You know, one of the things I've been hearing about the affiliate space over the years is that they continue to cut commissions. That was like a story mm -hmm. a few years ago that your friend or our mutual friend came on the show to talk about. And I'm curious, is that still the case? Like are these affiliate deals with these larger e-commerce companies continue to get worse? Or what's the future look like for people building content sites around things like, you know, stand-up paddleboard sales on Amazon, say for example? Yeah. Overall, I see a lot of opportunity in this because here's the good news. So a lot of brands are noticing, hey, affiliate is actually a pretty interesting channel for marketing, right? You mean people that like aren't Amazon, like, like yeah. kind of like a mid-tier e-commerce yeah. company? So, so both, I think Amazon was one of the first affiliate programs out there, right? So there were some of the first companies doing this. Now, obviously, it's taken some time for some other companies to realize the potential of affiliate marketing as a marketing channel. But now, obviously, more and more companies are seeing that. And so that's really positive. So I think the future is really bright if you're trying to build a media company. So if you're trying to build like a really big site with a lot of readers and really very professional, I think those have a really bright future. I think, unfortunately, and, and I hate to say that, but I think it's my guess that sort of the smaller sites and like this more like hobby sites, uh, smaller, are probably not going to do as well with like commissions and, and, and affiliate partnerships because from what I understand and what I've heard, it seems like a lot of brands are focusing on, you know, the bigger sides and the media sides, right? Um, because that's probably where a lot of the sales happen. What would be like the monthly traffic that would kind of you'd aim for to be like that separation between hobby site, niche site, and now like more media brand? Of course, it depends on the industry, right? Because, you know, a million readers every month, if it's a cat side versus a million readers every month, if it's a site about uh, luxury boats, right? Like, like obviously... There's a difference there because obviously luxury boats are typically way more expensive than cat furniture, right? So in, in business terms... Except for Hepper's cat furniture. Yeah. <laughs> My point is trying to position yourself as one of those brands that are one of the key brands in the industry, like one of the key players, right? In the pet industry, I, I would guess, you know, to really have a lot of opportunity and also ability to negotiate with brands, I think you're probably looking at around at least 500,000 readers per month or something like that. Because, and for context, you guys have way more than this. Well, this has been a journey, right? And we all start somewhere, right? And so our sites right now are around uh, 9 million readers every month. But something I can share and something I wish someone would have told me when I started was like, hey, you know, whenever you're working with these affiliate like partners, right? Like you have traffic, you have, you know, a business they're interested in, right? So don't be afraid to reach out and grab the phone and say, hey, you know, we want to work together. Let's figure something out, right? So I think that's an important lesson because we were part of some big affiliate programs for a long time. And I was just, I just didn't reach out, right? And why would that company suddenly send a lot of, you know, send revenue to you without even knowing who you are, right? Like you want to make sure that at the next board meeting of theirs, that, that actually you're not just a number, but actually they know who you are. So that's being built by really going on calls with the, the partners that you work with, right? Instead of just email. So my point there is, well, Brands that don't have a lot of traffic can still build some really good affiliate partnerships, but it requires that, you know, it's a business relationship, right? Like, so you need to get on the phone. You need, they need to know who you are and they need to believe in your story, right? Like, why should we work more closely with that brand? It's not only just traffic. I would also say 
probably making sure that your website just looks really nice and trustworthy and just, yeah. Simon, I'm surprised to hear you say that you think the future is really bright for this industry for a couple of reasons. You know, like the opportunist phase of this industry has passed. Like podcasts like ours aren't pointing to it the way we're talking about AI nowadays as like the hot new opportunity to make money online. Yeah. Now you look at stuff like I just got the AI ad, like now it seems harder than ever to rank in Google. It seems like there's more competition. If I were to guess, like starting something like excitedcats.com for my niche might cost a lot more money Mm -hmm. in terms of startup than it would in 2015. So maybe you can give me, give us a pitch for why listeners might be interested in what it would take. So I've been doing this stuff for like nine years, around nine years or so I've been building content sites. So something I want to share that's really been helping me is that basically whenever I made the shift from seeing what I did as like, oh, we're just building these, you know, content sites. Whenever I made that shift to like content site and really thinking about like, how do we build a media company? That was truly like how, where things really started going much better. So I do think it's more competitive than ever to have a website and, and do well, you know, in terms of attracting traffic from search. But I also think if you figure out your industry and your niche, and you're actually one of those sites that are, you know, one of the brands that are being, you know, that people know and that they trust, I think that's a huge, very nice position to be in. What's the tactical difference between thinking, yeah, thinking big and like what actually changes? Just you're focused on a niche instead of like any keyword opportunity, essentially. Think about the website, right? Like how do we make this extremely trustworthy to the reader? Show that all the effort has been put into it, right? That's one area. But also just uh, in terms of like uh, content production. So I think also a big one there is the shift between like just thinking about, oh, how can we write a little bit of content? It's going to be okay. We're going to publish a lot of it. In the start back then, like, like we weren't really publishing content that was like amazing, right? It was pretty good. But the big shift has been when we're like setting the bar extremely high for content. Now that we're in these times of AI, right? Like I think something that's going to be incredibly important is making sure that your team writes really, really, you know, the, the most helpful content on the internet on that topic. And if you're not, I think that's obviously something to fix. What's interesting about your story is going from 10 to 110 team members. So yeah. what you're describing is the sort of growth and success we not very often talk about on this show. Mm. So I'm wondering if you could talk about why you're having orders of magnitude, different results than so many people that are creating content sites? That's a very good question. I would say it's a couple of things, right? So first of all, I've probably put in the 10,000 hours that we typically talk about, right? Like to really learn a craft, really learn a skill. So I really obsess and I really learn a lot about content, right? Um, second thing is, yeah, like I'm obsessed with what I do here. So like, I'm really always obsessing about how can this get better? How can we improve? How, what's the next step? I tend to get obsessed with thinking how we can improve things. Let me stop you. So you've keyed on something that I talk about a lot on this show, which is basically, if you isolate all the variables in entrepreneurial success, I actually think the thing that's, one of the things that's most highly correlated with success is how much you work at it. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you're just describing like a high workload. Do you think that's what it takes when you see your friends? Like, these guys are doing really well. These guys aren't. Is it the workload people that tend to separate themselves? 
I definitely think it's a mix of things, right? So first of all, working hard is typically a pretty good path if you really want to get something off the ground, right? Um, I think especially when, when you're doing the first time, I think hard work is one of those big things that you want to do, right? I also think the element of, you know, building a team has been extremely helpful too and really learning and being curious about what does it take to hire a team? What does it take to lead? And that's really something I've worked on a lot is really being curious about learning how can I get really good at this stuff that I'm very confident that I'll need in the future, right? Um, another thing I think that's super important to mention in terms of like increasing chance of success with building sites or which, whichever business you're in is I highly recommend to, if possible, to move to a place where you're around successful people. That's probably, I think that would probably almost correlate more than hard work, right? Like in my example, I when I arrived in Chiang Mai, I had the opportunity of sitting in front of two very, very smart people. And they had basically been very successful at what I wanted to achieve in my business, right? And they were able to tell me right then and there, hey, Simon, why are you thinking this way? Oh, what about this? Or hey, why are you overthinking that, Simon? So I think basically the point is, try to position yourself in an environment of people who've made it, people who've, who are working on those things that you're you know, trying to figure out and people who are doing really interesting stuff. So again, it doesn't have to be Chiang Mai. I know Chiang Mai is amazing, but for other people, it could also be something like Silicon Valley or Austin, Texas or wherever that is. Yeah. I'm curious about why you think that's so important. Why can't everybody says you can do it on the internet or on Twitter nowadays? I don't use Twitter that much. But I think, I think the thing about Twitter is people don't always share everything on Twitter, right? That's my guess. Um, and my second thing here is also sometimes just being in front of people sometimes will also, and you talk about your business, that will really allow people in front of you to be like, hey, why this or why that, right? Like, but if you're on Twitter, maybe a thing when you're on Twitter is maybe you're not as likely to admit like, oh, business is not doing well. What can I do? Or how do I figure this out? Like, I think it's more, I would guess, I'm not much Twitter, but I would guess it's also very, it can sometimes be a little bit of a breakfast on Twitter, right? So I think it's harder to be vulnerable on Twitter. And that's probably one of the reasons. Hey, this is Dan. Just to remind you, if you love listening to the Tropical MBA podcast, thank you. Thank you for listening. Check out our brand new website. We just put it up. It's over at tropicalmba.com. Since we don't do new segments on the show every week, the most consistent way to hear about the stories from the thousands of founders that listen to this show every week is to sign up for our newsletter. And as a thank you for doing so, we'll send you a free copy of our book before the exit, some templates that we use to scale and hire in our business, as well as some other goodies. You also receive one email a week that outlines some of the key things that are happening in our community, at our podcast, and with the founders that listen to this show. So check out our newsletter on our brand new website over at tropicalmba.com. What do you think of the critique that people say, you know, Chiang Mai is like small time, Chiang Mai is just a bunch of people trying to learn how to make money on the internet. What would you say to people that that's what they think the social scene is in Chiang Mai? I don't agree with that. For example, for me, I was living in Denmark before and I love Denmark. But I was living in a very small city and I never talked about SEO or about online business or online marketing with, I don't think I spoke with any business there at all, right? But then, you know, going to Chiang Mai, being around that, that was still very valuable. Second thing I want to say is um, 
there are a lot of high-level people and really nice community in Chiang Mai. And this is an important point too. So there are really high-level people and, well, the newcomers that come into town, right? Like you, you can also learn a lot from them, right? Because maybe they ask some really interesting questions or maybe they're just a really nice friend or maybe you can teach them something. Sometimes the way that I find that I learn the best is whenever I'm teaching something to someone else, right? And you were mentioning to me that, you know, it was sort of seeing what you wanted embodied in another person that was yeah. like a breakthrough experience for you. Can you describe that feeling of like getting off the airplane? I mean, you were what, 19 years old when you first flew to Chiang Mai? Yeah. I finished high school in Denmark and I just didn't feel like going to university at that time. So I was like, cool, there's this online marketing conference, uh, SEO conference in Chiang Mai. Cool, I'll go there, right? And just try that. Because typically, you know, young people in Denmark tend to very often like go on some travel backpacking trip after high school. So I went there and yeah, I was very, you know, excited, right? Like, but also a little bit anxious about it, right? Like, of course, right? Like, like I'm going to Asia, right? I've never been in Thailand before. And I remember being on the airplane and just like, oh, you know, not, just before the plane was about to land in Chiang Mai, I remember being like, oh, you know, I really hope that, you know, either I'm going to really enjoy it here and really love it and find a lot of friends and really maybe I will find my, you know, group of friends and I learn a lot, or maybe I'll just go here and not really get to know anyone. Maybe I'll just be shy and maybe I won't really get along. Right. So I was a little bit scared, right? Like initially, I think it's pretty normal when I was about to land in Chiang Mai. And then yeah, getting there was just, uh, it's just amazing, right? Like going from never talking about business to like suddenly just seeing all these people on the street that would talk about business. And there's a good likelihood that the next person you would stumble into or walk into would, you know, teach you something cool or it was really cool. And just the mindset, I think, because the really cool thing is also that if someone has moved from their home country to travel across the world, to Thailand, that's a pretty big commitment, right? So if people are, have done that and are living in Chiang Mai, they're pretty serious, right? And they're really, they're so, you know, they've really committed to what they want. And that's a really cool thing, right? To meet all these people who are very like, have decided and often all in on their business, right? So actually one of the first days I was lucky to, you know, I was happy that I could go to a barbecue, a Korean barbecue with two of my good friends today. So I went to a Korean barbecue with them. And yeah, pretty much they, they pretty much grilled my business. Because they just basically <laughs> asked me like, because my business was pretty much failing at that point, like not doing well. So like, hey, why are you overpaying for content? Or why are you doing it this way? Or why are you thinking so small? I was super overwhelmed, by the way. I cried uh, before going to bed that night. But my point is... Um, why were you crying? What was the thing you were worried about? Was it the critique? Or was it like, did you think you were going to fail? or what? It, it was a little bit of overwhelm in the sense of like, oh, I've been working a couple of years on this online marketing and content stuff. And here I am sort of being told that what I do is not really the way to get success with it, right? And so that was hard, right? Hard to swallow that. This might sound a little bit intense, uh, but I remember that feeling because I wanted this lifestyle so much. I wanted to live in Chiang Mai. So I also remember going to bed and knowing that I would lose money while I sleep just annoying feeling to go to bed and know that you wake up, you're, you lost money, right? Because if I lose money, that means I can't live this lifestyle I want to in Chiang Mai. So it's just very hard. What was it that was correct about their feedback? I was overthinking a lot of things, like way too much. I felt like I... So the main one was actually that I was building way too many websites, right? Like I was probably... I had probably like 20... My business probably had like 20, 30 websites. 
And none of them were really successful, right? So really what I also learned was just to focus on, instead of having many websites, just focus and really focus on a couple, right? So you can make a bigger impact on those. That was one big one that was necessary to hear. I just had so much on my to-do list where I was like wondering if I should test something or, yeah. And it was just like, hey, don't even worry about that. Just focus on what's proven to work, like great content and, you know, building a brand and everything. Yeah, so... A lot of people that do the move the Chiang Mai thing, I'm going to start an affiliate site. I'm going to, you know, do SEO. I'm going to do traffic. It's like highly correlated with being allergic to growing a team. Like Mm. you do that specifically so you don't have to grow a team. (laughs) So when I go to your website, I see mission, our vision, our Mm. values, all this like really like, hey, we're a big team. We're a brand kind of stuff. Obviously, you have 110 employees. I'm going to talk about your CEO schedule here in a little bit, but what was it about you that crossed that Rubicon that thought that this was a team-oriented industry where I think a lot of people in the industry, they never want to go down the route of building a team? So it's just a realization of like, hey, you know, building this thing alone is pretty cool, but if we really want to take it to the level that we want to and really make an impact for pet families worldwide and really make a difference, I need to figure out this team thing and the cool thing I've realized is actually that having a team is actually, you know, I, I prefer that way more because it also allows me to focus on the things that I like to work on now. There's some things I'm not very good at, right? And by having a team, I'm actually, you know, first of all, it gives a lot of satisfaction also whenever you see the team doing very well and whenever you see people getting things done like that's and, and building an organization that, that's super satisfying, but also mainly because in order to do what we wanted to do, which is to build a really uh, impactful business for pet families in the whole world, I needed to build a team at that point. So that, that's really why I went that path. Who were those initial hires that made the breakthrough for you? You're like you got them in the company and it was like, oh, I don't, can't imagine how I did this without them. It's a learning process, right? Like no one is good at hiring from the start and no one is a, well, it's very, very few people that are a good leader and a good manager from scratch. It's typically a skill that we need to, need to learn. How did you learn? Well, I saw that there was some of these, like at that time, like online uh, content sites, you know, how to build your online content site. And there was some of those that were talking about, hey, you can hire someone. In that case, it was the Philippines. And then I sort of learned and heard what they said, right? Like, oh, this is how you manage. This is how you set a structure. This is how you set an agenda. This is how you make them feel empowered, all those things. But also, I also learned a lot by just once I learned those basics so that it can make sure I was a good CEO. I then went ahead and got started, right? And that I learned a lot from too. So I think it's also, a, hey, in order to be a good and, and to learn these things, you need to get started too. And by getting started, you're able to learn and, and to improve, right? There's a lot of different ways of leading and there's no perfect way. So find your way. I wish someone had told me that. I want to talk about your schedule real quick because I think it's interesting how a CEO with 110 employees spends their time. Can you walk us through your direct reports and how you... Like what's your five-day schedule looks like? So first of all, we're a team of around 110 team members. So 110. So obviously that's a lot of people. And I wish I could talk to all of them. But the this, this sad reality is that I'm not able to. And if I did, I would just burn out, right? Because it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of people. But what I can do and what is an option is that... So what the way it's structured in Pangolia is that I talk with uh, what we call the dire, you know my direct reports or you know the executives in the team right so they're all representing a different department so I talk with around six people every Monday so I do a one on one with all of them so a one on one 
is basically a 30-minute call. And the first 10 minutes is, you know, the time for the executive, right? So the other person. So first they talk about, um, you know, like, hey, how are things, right? We just get to catch up on the weekend and just hear how things are going, right? We're humans, right? So that's really the, the first 10 <laughs> minutes. But also then they start to go into like, hey, here's what's going well. Here's the challenges. Here's the struggles. Here's what's working well. And, you know, all that, you're basically getting a pulse and update on what's happening. And yeah, where I can help too and what we can discuss, right? So that's the first 10 minutes. Then the next 10 minutes is the option for me to talk and really just, you know, say, hey, I think that right there, you know, we, we should do this instead. Or, hey, have you thought about that, right? So really just being a sounding board for, you know, the things that they mentioned. And then the next 10 minutes is basically talking about like thinking forward, right? So like, okay, where are we in a year? Um, oh, oh, I found this really cool book that I think would be a very good fit for you to read in, in your position right now. Or basically just 10 minutes dedicated to thinking forward, yeah. Because otherwise it's very easy to get stuck in like that, um, you know, week by week uh, focus, right? And we're the company that want to like think long-term, right? So yeah, so that's super important. So you do six calls yeah. uh, on Monday. And then sensibly like, so you're with the head of development, head of marketing. So editorial, content management. By the way, content management are the people who make sure that the blog posts just look amazing and they do a lot more than that. And then there's a hyper e-commerce, right? So talking, where are we with the brand? And then there's marketing. And then there's a web dev, so web development. And then one of the new ones is affiliate partnerships manager. And then they go talk with their teams? Yeah, so all the things they learn and all the things that are discussed. So if there's something they need to communicate to their team, they can do so, like their department, they can do so, right? So it's basically sort of like a waterfall structure. And they do those on Monday and... I hope they got inspired by my Monday structure because I love to set that momentum on a Monday. Like, let's f***ing go, yeah? Yeah, I love that. So then what's Tuesday? I love this like organic week, like where I also feel like Monday and Tuesday are like, let's f***ing go. Yeah. And like Thursday and Friday are a little bit more like, let's pick up the pieces. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what happens on Tuesday? So Tuesday, I really like the, word, the way of like batching work, right? So I like to do all calls in, in one day or split it out into maybe two days in, in a week, right? But I don't want to do one call on Monday, one call on Tuesday, one call on Wednesday. Like I really want to batch the calls, right? Then yeah. Tuesday is typically a day for me to do the deep work, right? So really, you know, if there's typically like something I need to really think about, like, like what could it be? So a recent big decision has been, so as I told you, we're all in, we're obsessed on creating the most helpful pet company in the world. So we also still have some websites that are about home improvement, right? Home improvement. And those sites have unfortunately not performed as well recently. So it's really been a decision for me to analyze and also really look at it and say, hey, how should we handle that situation, right? Like, should we start to sell off some of those home improvement sites? Or should we do the bare minimum and keep them up to date? Or, or what do we do, right? And, and so that's one example of something I was looking at. So strategic at. thinking, if you were to come up with a strategy, say you were like, hey, we should sell the sites or we should improve them or whatever, would you then like write a memo to the company or what would be the next step? So usually I love to get stuff down on, on paper, right? Or just write a big Slack thread, right? So what I'll typically do is I'll write it down on paper and then I'll typically write a thread like a long thread or a Slack message to the people that are going to need to know what I think, right? You know, so they can also influence their departments. Sometimes I'll film a video. I really highly recommend using like videos where you voice over and show things because I think that's very interactive and helpful. Tuesday's like all deep work. You just, <laughs> well, all strategy. 
certainly people are interrupting you and stuff on Slack. Not that much. I do get Slack messages every day, but I try to be very conscious about how much time I spend on Slack, right? Because it's not, it's usually not, not in Slack where I'm able to get the really important stuff done. It's typically through the deep work and typically my role is typically to make sure that the team is happy and that everyone's happy and that everything is flowing nicely and everything's working. And then, so really managing the team and being a leader, that's a big one. Then, you know, also really making these, you know, strategic decisions and deep work is a big one too. And not so much daily Slack messages. Like I'll try to sign in. Sure. Uh, I try to check my Slack like once or twice per day. So like maybe once in the midday and then once in, when I sign out just to catch anything if, if there's some people waiting for me. But we've also have this company policy where if something is urgent, you message me on WhatsApp or you call me on WhatsApp, right? Like, and the same for all the other department people in, in Pagolia. So urgent stuff is for WhatsApp. Uh, that's how we do it, yeah. Any other like CEO stuff like for the rest of the week? Any other meetings or cadences or important processes? Honestly, then it's typically just a lot of like, uh, you know, stuff that comes to me, right? Like, like, for example, maybe we're looking to do an acquisition or maybe we're looking to, you know, some big decisions, right? Like, like, and that's typically the other days and then typically for, oh, we're looking to design a new product in Hepper, uh, like a new product. Yeah. What about all hands meetings? Oh yeah, we do. So all hand meetings uh, is basically a quarterly call where we all get together. And this is not just CEO Simon talking, right? Like this is where all the departments in Pangolia come together and we create a PowerPoint. And then we really, you know, rehearse it and really train it. And then everyone gets an opportunity to really talk about what's been happening in their departments and if they're hit their KPIs and their OKRs. Um, yeah, so that's that one. And the all hands is super important. Everyone gets an idea of what's happening in the other departments, right? And what's the goals and where, where's Pangolia going to go and, and, you know, everything, right? And just hear how things are going. I think it's super important for alignment. And also being a remote company, I think it's very important that people at least get to see each other, right? And get to talk there. And how do you like, um, I, I don't know what the official like business term is for it, but like, do you ever like go to the development meeting to make sure that that's being run to your standard? Like, how do you know that your executive is doing a good job in that team? Yeah, it's a very good question. It actually, yeah, just the thought of checking in, in on a meeting like that kind of hurts in my head. So basically what I can tell you is the first step and the first big thing to your question here is really making sure that you hire, you know, what I call kick-ass people, right? Like really, really high, you know, amazing people who are high performers, really positive attitude. And then, uh, then once we've hired those uh, team members, obviously, then it's all about for me as a CEO to empower them, right? So trusting them and trusting that they will get things done. And of course, there are also goals, right? I trust my team, but if they're not delivering or not performing, the KPIs of the goals would also start to show, right? So for me to see, just being direct here, for me to see if someone is underperforming, I could actually kind of see that on, you know, on the KPIs, the goals anyways. So I don't need to look in on the meetings. They prefer really just being trusted and, and getting that empowerment to go out there and figure things out themselves, right? They love, in my experience, a lot of team members love to take ownership or, or take charge of a project and figure out how to do it it's way more interesting for them to be like, oh, how do I figure this out? Well, actually, I'll figure it out, right? Like instead of, it's a little bit more boring if Simon tells you like, oh, you need to insert a button and then you need to insert an image and, and you know, get what, get what I mean? Yeah, I got you. Simon, thanks for joining us on the TMBA podcast. We appreciate it, man.
big shout out to Simon. What an incredible company he's built. And I wanted to say something else about Simon too. In much the same fashion that he was helped out by so many people in Chiang Mai, at last year's DCBKK, Simon came to our team and donated his time to help us with our SEO over at Dynamite Jobs. And Simon, if you're listening to this, our team was beaming after that. Not only that, you know, you were so generous with your time in terms of hours sitting down with them and sharing your knowledge from what is an incredible case study. So congrats to you, Simon, for building Pangolia. What an incredible company. Links to everything we mentioned in today's episode is over in our show notes at our brand new website, tropicalmba.com. That's it. We'll be back as always. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this Thursday. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.